unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, dear listeners, we are going back to 1990 to revisit a very big film for George and I. It is Paul Verhoeven's 1990 sci-fi action classic that is Total Recall. Isn't that right, George? Yes, indeed, Charlie. Uh, we are, yeah, we're completing the Verhoeven sci-fi trilogy. So Starship Troopers was one of our very first podcasts. And then we did Robocop. And yes, as I say, we've done them in a jumbled order. Um, but uh, it's long overdue. It's safe to say that uh, we're both very excited to be covering this film. It uh, means a lot to us. It's time for some more Arnie, one of our favourite heroes uh, of the 80s and 90s and still today. It's got Sharon Stone, it's got Ronnie Cox, it's got our friend Michael Ironside and one or two other character actors that we enjoy seeing in films over the years. So sit back and enjoy. We will try and do the film justice. We will touch on the books, um, the books that in the, this film is based on by Philip K. Dick because since watching these films, uh, this film, especially as young, young boys, we've since grown up read the books and we now look at them slightly differently and we're much more au fait to the world of dick philip k dick that is so if you've listened to the episodes before you know what to expect um for those who haven't here's george with a quick reminder on some general housekeeping on what to expect or should i say hauser keeping hauser you blew my cover <laughs> um so yes charlie and i are brothers this is a light-hearted film podcast so the whole purpose of this podcast is charlie and i revisit the films of our youth we look at what made them special do they still hold up what if they go on to uh, influence and have they become a part of a franchise have they been rebooted remade inspired etc and yeah generally do they still hold up so along the way there'll be trivia there'll be some bad impressions we're going deep into detail on these films so there will be spoilers from the the very off and there will be swearing as well especially as this is a Paul Verhoeven joint it's going to get fruity yeah I mean that's what you come to expect from the guy ooh sexy space Nazis with starship troopers this is mainly just impaling people with uh, random rods a little bit of boobs maybe one extra boob here and there but yeah it's top quality Verhoeven and this this film was I think ahead of many other films uh, that have come along recently and shocked audiences and like The Matrix and Insane this this is still a little bit of a mind fuck today. The greatest mind fuck yet, you could say. Yeah, I think uh, we will touch on that as well without trying to lose ourselves. Yes, we, we do try and make our way through a, a convoluted plot. So, so do bear with us and obviously it's it's you know the film's open to interpretation and this is our interpretation so make of it what you will uh, there are no correct answers exactly and even Paul Verho- Verhoeven says so so sit back in a comfy chair uh, at recall and uh, have a memory of a lifetime once again just uh, bear with us on the uh, audio quality obviously we're still remote this is lockdown restrictions we'll clean it up the best we can but yes sit back and enjoy um the brothers mcgee taking a retro ramble on paul verhoven's 1990 classic total recall 
recall. With the memory of your ideal vacation. You were interested in a memory of, uh... Mars. You're gonna love this, Doug. Yeah, but how real does it seem? As real as any memory in your head. You are on your most important mission. Do you want to know the future? What about the past? You are not you. You're me. You erased your identity and implanted a new one. Quato wants what's in Quaid's head. You're Quato, right? Wrong. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? You wouldn't hurt me. We're married. Consider that a divorce. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. Look who's talking. My name is not Quaid. An hour he could have total recall. I want Quaid delivered for reimplantation. Get ready for a surprise. You think this is the real Quaid? It is. We hope you enjoyed the ride. Recoil? Recall, recall, recall. Insert the um, the audio for the song. Would you like to climb the mountains of Mars? <laughs> So, George, 1990s Total Recall, how did we get this film? This film is, is quite well known for its drawn-out film development. So um, I've got a lot to talk about. So I don't know, would you want to do First Memories afterwards? I think we should start with First Memories because it's it's interesting that this, this film fell into our laps probably via the Glendinnings or... Um, I was or thinking, not? Maybe we're a bit older then. Maybe no, we no, were no, like uh, eleven. <laughs> again, I you know they they're sort of a bit like uh, an implanted it's an abyss. Yeah. or a dream. Um, it kind of melds between watching this film at the Glendinnings or our other good friends just around the corner, the Feenies as well. I, I probably have memories of watching it at both their houses. Uh, Hauser, there you go Hauser, again. He's, he's back. Uh, <laughs> you I think my cover. <laughs> um, sorry. I, I put this down. I think J- Jamie would have been, Jamie Feeney would have been well into this, the whole, um, let's put it simply, the whole mindfuck nature of this. Um, but yeah, and I, I remember us being big fans. This this was up there with Robocop. It was sci-fi, it was Arnie, and it was gory. So it ticked lots of boxes. Well, that's it. it, it you know, it's, um, it's quite funny that Paul Verhoeven is... On face value, you know, it, it appeals to that sort of that teenage boy of, yeah, as you say, excessive gore, violence, swearing and nudity. Um, Occasional nipple. It's moderate, moderate apparently, the, the, according to IMDb. There's <laughs> moderate amounts of nudity. There's there's a lot, yes. Um, it's, it's one of those things, and as we've, we've talked about with both Starship Troopers and Robocop, that... As you grow up and you watch it at the right age, you realise how it works on so many levels, how layered it is and how satirical it is. And that's the thing about this, that, you know, on face value, it's just a really good action film, but scratch a little deeper and it's actually a very clever sci-fi film as well. And I think... 
you know, talking about first memories, we hooked onto this because it was an Arnie action film. And we enjoyed it because it was sci-fi. And it's only now looking back, you're like, whoa, the sci-fi's up there with Blade Runner in some parts. Then there's the whole satire that you get normally with Paul Verhoeven, you know, accosting society, just like he does in Robocop and Starship Troopers. And then there's the whole, the Philip K. Dick homage, which we will uh, try not to get lost in our, in our own way. Uh, but when, in terms of first memories, this film had enough to keep us coming back again and again. You and I both own this on, uh, I know for a fact that you and I own, we bought the limited edition on DVD. And I think I was, I'm, I'm falling far. I didn't update it to Blu-ray. So I think I'll probably get it on, uh, but it's a film that you're always going to have with you somewhere. Yeah, well, they've, they've recently, they've j- just released in the past couple of months on uh, a 4K remaster version and apparently it's fantastic is that what they call it in france what do you mean 4k um i know i watched it um i i bought the blu-ray it's not caca it's good quality bought on blu-ray a year or so ago and i only actually got around to watching it because i've been holding off watching it for the podcast and uh, on my blu-ray it says you know a remastered version overseen by paul verhoven and watching it on the projector i was like yeah it's it's good but it's a little bit grainy so i'm i'm thinking that the 4k because everyone's saying it's phenomenal yeah I'm, I'm assuming they've they've done an even better remaster and they've really gone over it but it's one of those things that you sort of like we we probably were happily watched it on video numerous times without talking about the uh, oh those uh, those reds could be a bit bolder uh, yeah i don't think um we were watching recorded off tv versions when we were younger This film has stuck with us. We're excited to go back to it and do Retro Ramble. So, George, how did we get this film? Tell it, take us through the production of it. I'm, I'm putting Literally on the putting on his glasses right now. Literally putting on the glasses. So, so yeah, this um, this film has quite a uh, a drawn out production history, and I don't think I really knew about it. I think you know it's one of those things that. You read so much on, well, uh, you know, if you're a film fan, you read quite a bit on the the IMDb trivia and you don't know, you know, how much of it, you know, as everyone says, take with a pinch of salt. But yeah, I read a a fantastic book uh, last year called Tales from Development Hell by David Hughes. And uh, I would recommend it to any film fan. He's got some fantastic insights into a lot of the films that some of the films may have, you know, have eventually made it to screen. And then there are some fantastic projects that got very close and never did. And all the sort of films went through various different versions. So yeah, that's um, it's currently available on on Amazon. I think it's only about five or so. I would really recommend people to to pick it up. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to the production of Total Recall, but also the uh, failed attempts to do a Total Recall sequel, which we'll cover in our suspicious spin-offs feature later on. There's also worth checking out if you you know if you're after more sort of total recall trivia um check out the film stories podcast by simon brew he does a um a comparison piece he always covers two films on his podcast in each episode and he does a special on total recall where he does both the the 1990 original and the 2012 remake 
Interestingly, Total Recall starts with scriptwriter Ron Shusett and uh, he bought the rights to the Philip K. Dick short story um, all the way back in 1975. So before Blade Runner which is interesting before in Ron Shusett's uh, words before Philip K. Dick became a big deal so he bought it I think at the time it was published as the original short story which is known as We Can Remember It For You Wholesale was published I think in a sci-fi magazine um, as, as, as it was the style at the time and um, so yeah magazine magazine <laughs> what's dad what's a magazine um, so yeah he optioned it back in 1970 and he worked on a script idea he was like i love this story i want to turn it into a movie but it'll be really expensive and he worked on it with his friend uh who's another scriptwriter, a guy called dan o'bannon and they they really struggled with the third act i don't know uh like how good your your well ironically how good your memory is of the philip k dick short story but it's it's a short story remind remind could you implant a memory in my head please because i can't seem to it's been blocked out you blew my cover sorry yeah essentially like i vaguely remember the short story and and they sort of say the same thing the short story just ends abruptly as short as short stories do and especially philip k dick short stories do but which it's which is the one that diverts because we obviously George and I've read we got seriously into seriously into Dick we, no I mean Philip, we, Philip we, K. Dick and uh, we, we read all of really his books got deep into Dick what? No, I... oh, oh, thick with Dick thick. But we read let's just that's, we, we told you we're going to be juvenile no um, so we read all of his books and there's obviously there's Minority Report which I think is called Minority Report there's um, do, do what is it do electric do electric sheep have dreams or something along those lines and we can remember it for your wholesale so which is the one that is quite different is total recall quite different um no total recall the the, the premise is is the same in terms of the setup of the guy that wants a he lives a very boring life and he wants to go on holiday to mars and it turns out that he's already been to mars and he actually has a completely different persona and it's something about him averting an alien aliens invading earth that they've agreed to like not invade earth whilst he's alive and that's like that's the sort of the big twist is like oh but i was i was a different person all along so it's basically the first half of the film essentially and then it's just it just ends on a i can't it just it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger but the fact is, whether it's in that particular story of uh, Philip K. Dick's, the, uh, you know, we can remember it for your wholesale, there's so much of Philip K. Dick's work was dedicated to paranoia, um, dreams, reality, a lot of things that are like, that have been covered in things like The Matrix, Inception, Take Your Pick. It's why we, it's, we jump onto those things like we would religion, because you can't, you can't prove it one way or the other. So it's, it, 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 people, people are intrigued by it. I'm just trying to think if we covered a any Philip K. Dick already. Because Starship um, Troopers isn't by no, Philip that's, K. Dick. That's Robin, but... Robert Heinlein. But no, as you say, the thing with, with Dick, he was a very... And I think... I don't know if we have talked about it in the podcast before, but he's a a brilliant sci-fi writer. He's ve- But there's some very crazy ideas. The guy was on, I think, a lot of drugs. There was... Uh, I think a Scanner he, Darkly. 
Yes, the Scanner Darkly is a fantastic, and I think that's apparently one of the most like faithful adaptations of his work. Obviously, the Man in the High Castle. That's completely, completely nuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Man in the High Castle, which is so yeah, he had yeah. There was a lot of paranoia that might some of it might be drug induced. You know, his mental health might not have been uh, properly there, but um, he was a fantastic. We writer. love him. And yeah, all about the sort of uh, whole perception of reality, um, memory. So yeah, they 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 loved this story, um, Ron Schusett and Dan O'Bannon, and they, but they were struggling to find a third act because the short story, being a short story, didn't have a third act. So they got a bit bogged down and bored, and they went off and wrote another sci-fi script called Star Beast, which ended up <laughs> becoming a film called Alien. So that's right. what they did in the late 70s. And then a few years later, they worked on... Uh, Ron Shushet worked on the script again and sold it to the DeLaurentis Entertainment Group. So uh, Dino DeLaurentis is one... Like, a very famous film producer. He's been... Like, he was around, like... Pretty much for like 50 60 years he did loads of stuff but d deg the delorentis entertainment group they were set up sort of around the 80s and uh they made stuff so he'd worked with arnie already with uh raw deal they did evil dead 2 um near dark and i also talked about deg with because they also produced bill and ted but they produced bill and ted and then they went bust during Bill and Ted's production. Remember I said Bill and Ted sat on the shelf. Bill and Ted killed them. <laughs> Bill and Ted killed them and uh, and went back in time for some reason. But no, so the, DEG went bust to, I think it was around 1987, and that's why Bill and Ted sat on the shelf for a year until another production came in and picked it up and finished it off. But yeah, so Ron Schusett sold the script to DEG. They brought on board David Cronenberg. So um, obviously David Cronenberg is you know a lot of people he's does some very weird it's gonna get weird it's gonna get weird <laughs> weird and wonderful films and um he went away and he worked on the script he, he basically took ron schusett's script and worked up his own version and he basically secluded himself for a year and he he admits that he did 12 drafts of the script before he then went back to ron schusett and and dino De and was like, okay, here, here's my script. And they had massive uh, difference of, of opinion. Um, Ron Schusett was like, you know what you've done? You've done the Philip K. Dick version. And Cronenberg was like, well, isn't that the point? And he was like, no, we want to do Raiders of the Lost Ark goes to Mars. So they, I don't know if they were... They wanted more fun and uh, pulp, uh, pulp, pulpy sort of, um, you know, easy, easily to consume fodder. Yeah, and I don't know if this was a reaction to... Because obviously this is this had happened since Blade Runner. So Blade Runner came out uh, 1981, I think. Um, and Blade Runner, a lot of people uh, failed to remember was a flop when it came out and everyone said people it found was, it too confusing too stylized well, and and depressing as well it was slow depressing cute confusing and i think that might have been a lots reaction of, to lots of rain <laughs> a lot of rain but th i think that might have been part of that sort of whole indiana jones goes to to mars is that okay let's make it a different philip k dick let's try and make it fun and engaging so what, what people were hoping Blade Runner would be, let's make that film, because Blade Runner wasn't that. 
Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't describe Blade Runner, the the do Android stream of Electric Sheep, as a fun story. But yeah, I think they could just taking that learnings. Yeah, but, okay. yeah, but George, George, it's 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 not Indiana Jones goes to Mars. Okay, exactly. <laughs> there, there's your elevator pitch. So obviously, Cronenberg uh, was just like, well, <laughs> screw you guys. <laughs> like, I'm out. But, uh, he had a a. I wouldn't say it were like a, uh, he had a, a fairly well-known uh, lead actor already attached and he developed the script with him as well. But both Cronenberg walked and uh, the, the the attached star did. But You're going to talk about him later? I will do. In, in <laughs> um, but Cronenberg's script, interestingly, it, like it ta- really tapped into, as it was the, the Philip K. Dick version, it really tapped into that paranoia that Philip K. Dick's really well known for and the stuff that Cronenberg added was because I don't think in the in the story it really details I don't think they actually go to Mars I think it's sort of like I want like Quaid's like I want to go to Mars and then it's revealed he's already been to Mars but you don't actually yeah. no it doesn't go I remember doesn't that take yeah. place it's all um, coming back whereas in uh, the Cronenberg version he had Mars as like full of mutants full of mutant camels and it was all a very weird and dangerous place and obviously the stuff with the mutants carried over into the final draft so he did have some influence in in on the the project there is uh, some cronenberg in it So next up, after Cronenberg left, was an Aussie director who I've never heard of, um, but Bruce Beresford, or yeah, Beresford, who um, most famously did Driving Miss Daisy, and uh, he found a new star, a big Hollywood star, and cast him. And they were building; they got as far as building sets in Australia when uh, DEG around 1987 went bust. And it was like, okay, tear everything down, tear everything down. It's what people don't realise, you know, the films take, what, 300 people, two years to make, and they don't always make it. Well, that's it. I mean, on the Cronenberg version, they got as far as doing concept artwork. I think they even started getting as far as doing uh, designing costumes. And then that, you know, I say that fell apart. Um, But yeah, with the Beresford version... They were building sets in Australia and that were eventually torn down. Um, you mean they weren't used for Masters of the Universe? <laughs> Checking point. on the Masters of the Universe file. <laughs> add, it, add it to the list. You know, you mean um, Cyborg. It was Cyborg that yeah, took all cyborg, the yeah. Masters of the Universe sets and costumes. Yeah, that's, that's you know. <laughs> no, sci- can use them. Sci-fi, it's fine. Why not? So all this while, so I say um, Arnie has a, a relationship with Dino De Laurentiis, the you know the famous producer. He's done Raw Deal with uh, them. Uh, he basically one of Arnie's biggest hits was uh, Conan the Barbarian. That was a De Laurentiis uh, production, and so he was actually lobbying for the role with with Dino De Laurentiis and Dino De Laurentiis is like no forget about it you know he's he's uh the the, the character's a he's an ordinary guy he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger so you know he kept fobbing off Arnie and as soon as uh, Arnie realized that a DEG had gone bust he convinced having a relationship with uh Carol Coe 
Um, so we've talked about them before. They've obviously produced loads Terminator. of loads of our f- favorite eighties hits. So yeah, they did uh, Terminator Two. They did Rambo. They did Robocop, and yeah, uh, you know a whole bunch. So I only had a relationship with them, and he basically said to uh, Carol Coe, he said you need to buy this script and I'll star in it. So he convinced them to like, sort of like, he wasn't, he wasn't the producer. They were the producer. But he's like, yeah, you need, this is a great, great idea. Um, I want to star in it and you need to buy it. So they paid 3 million to buy it off, buy the rights off DEG. Arnie had also been a huge fan of Robocop. So again, him being, having the sort of clout, he was like, and I want Paul Verhoeven. So they got Paul Verhoeven on board. Paul Verhoeven loved the the idea, but didn't like the third act. So it seemed like nobody could agree on what happened in the end. So Verhoeven brought on his own writer, Gary Goldman. Um, and I think we've talked about Gary Goldman in the past because he did uh, a pass on, um, he did work on Big L- Trouble in Little China. And he's also a bit of um, like Verhoeven's script doctor. I think Verhoeven's used him on a lot of projects over the past. But according to Verhoeven in the special features, when he came on board, there was 41 drafts to go through. <laughs> so, oh, what, he, scripts? Yeah, so he basically said yeah. to Gary Goldman, he's like, here you go, Gary, here's 41 scripts, you know, do, do your thing. And Gary, Gary pick, Goldman... Pick the, pick the best stuff. <laughs> yeah, pick the best stuff. And Gary Goldman is a very modest bloke, and he's like, you know, he will accredit... He's not like, oh, yeah, it's all my idea. He's like, you know, there was some really good stuff in there. I just had to make sense of it. And I, the stuff that I think he came up with was the latter stuff with... As soon as Quaid got to Mars, it was just all a, a, a straightforward action film. There was no tension. There was no real like stakes. And I think there was hints of the Doctor Eggmar sequence of the "You're you're back at recall right now, Mister Quaid." Look, here's uh, your wife. Here's your, here's your beautiful wife. <laughs> um, but I think he polished that that scene up. Uh, and the other twist that Gary Goldman threw in that really makes this film what it is, is he came up with the whole Hauser twist, the fact that actually the person that Quaid's supposed to be is actually the bad guy. Dick. Um, <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was the main sort of thing that Gary Goldman brought to it. But yeah, like most of the scripts, I say, there's over 41 scripts and they all start with Quaid visiting Recall, having altered memories going to mars but there was one of them and i think it was one of the original ideas from ron schusett and i might be in the one that dan o'bannon was going for quaid was actually a human in alien disguise so the aliens had destroyed the original hauser and created this super being and the reason he had had altered memories is because he could see any danger coming and that's why nobody could kill him um and when he put his hand on the the device he remembers everything and gets total recall but um everyone else is like no go for the more simpler mars gets air just just do that no i think there's must have been tempting to go so many different ways with this film and he goes to mars what's on mars anything we want anything mutants you know reactors million and years Mm. old alien civilizations uh, and what, we, what have we got running at present day? Well, corporate America. Well, I say all the previous scripts and the short story, Quaid, or his original name, I think was Quail, was a very unassuming accountant. And can you see me as an accountant? <laughs> um, so they obviously had to fit it around Arnie's persona. So they, they turned him into a construction worker. And obviously they added in a lot of 
Arnieisms, so a lot of the one-liners, and they lightened it. And as Verhoeven says, he's like, you can't, yeah, maybe with the, some of the other actors that were considered, you could have made a, a semi-serious sci-fi film. But as soon as Arnold enters the frame, it's it's a light, fun action picture. And yes, they can be some interesting ideas, but you've got to make it lighter and more accessible. Because he's an he's an unstoppable walking man mountain. <laughs> well, that's so. it. There's the bit where he's like he's drilling away, and you just see his fucking arms, and you see the veins popping and everything, and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, he's a construction yeah, he, worker. Yeah, yeah, I, I, construction. I, I'm not a mild mannered accountant. <laughs> I am a bit like when he was considered for Stanley Goodspeed in The Rock. I am a chemical nerd. <laughs> With his like biceps bulging out of every shirt. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, he obviously brings something with him. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's one of his career highlights as a result from putting to, from all of that work that went into the scripts from his delivery, what he brought his muscle, both his business muscle and his network muscle, as well as the, the two guns themselves. You know, I, th- I think that's made it what it is. Well, that's it. I said that there's so many run of the mill sort of Arnie films. I mean, you, you know, you look at commando and that is very much a, <laughs> predictable run-of-the-mill 80s action film um you mean you're not on the edge of your seat wondering is he actually going to get his daughter back throughout the entire film <laughs> maybe he won't make it maybe maybe bennett make- maybe bennett will be stronger than him in the end fight <laughs> instead of questioning where does bennett get his wardrobe from um <laughs> and obviously predator we've talked about predator a lot of predator that it's you know it's a, it's a men on a mission movie it's quite clever in terms of you know the the tension in it and then being stalked by it so again it it's a bit of a twist on the traditional action movie um, and you don't arnie's not talking much you know he's and, very much a guy in a situation but if you think about it this was the sort of towards the the peak of of arnie's star persona so i think this was prior i don't know if he'd done twins at this point and obviously you know you sort of laugh at twins but twins was that sort of thing that made him a bankable star it's like this guy can do anything he can do action he can do you know family comedies but obviously this is just before a year before um terminator 2 as well which basically i think at, you know time made him the, the biggest movie star on the planet so this was sort of the the that, that boost and you think about like this this was one of the biggest hits or or if not the biggest hit of the year (laughs) like it's a massively violent (laughs) and over the top and you know it is you know those were the days those those, were the days i was getting the final thing in terms of so uh i say originally it was set up i think it had been set up to film in Rome with David Cronenberg, and then it was filming in Australia with Bruce Beresford. Uh, but then filming moved to Mexico City because apparently um, uh, the futuristic architecture they have there. So they had 500 people working across 45 sets uh, over eight sound stages for six months. And at the time, Total Recall was the second most expensive film in history, next to Rambo 3 which I wouldn't have pinned as a... It got a ton of awards. I think the only awards it got were for all the visual effects. But, I mean, it got noticed for that. Um, But I don't know, uh, just just throughout the the amount of violence, I think is... It's great. 
I say war it's fantastic no but I mean it's it, it just for me harkens back to a day where you, it wasn't all the time it's like now it feels like if you go and watch a violent film there'll be violence and blood and gore throughout whereas back then you'd have it's the occasional flash I don't know if the the BBFC or whoever you know have, have changed their game or got more they've had they've got more ratings now so there's more there's less space back then there was only UPG 15 and 18 so there was a lot of space between pg and 15 yeah. wasn't there and now you've got 12 and so do you still have and, 12 and, uh, yeah you know you still got 12 and you know obviously the, the most uh most blockbuster stuff is you know is always going for that 12a to, to make sure as many people see it as possible and as you say that's that's what's changed you know back in this in, was in 18 wasn't it yeah. oh yeah, f- f- fully. yeah I mean, full fully I, th- I think at one point and they had to cut it back again i think like all of Verhoeven's stuff, like he's known for, for term I hate pushing the envelope, you know, really pushing the to the extremes, and I and I think it is that part of that satirical edge of that whole thing of you know American consumerism, his European slant on what it should be, and it, the excessive makes it ridiculous. It's you know it's and it's a current theme you know across this this trilogy we're talking about you know you think about those the the the, the three things that tie them together as well as sci-fi themes of robocop total recall and starship troopers is the excessive gore and satire you know it's all sort of one package paul do we really need to see this rod like a shot of the rod protruding like you know it's like that you know that, that um halloween or fancy dress costume that you with have the, the arrow Indian. through the head yeah with the arrow going through say so, so paul do we really need to see he's like yes it will be hilarious let's do it <laughs> well that's it that whole bit when he breaks out and it is like, hilarious it's like could he not just like break his straps no he has to pull the thing off which has a shard of metal which he shoves through the guy's <laughs> neck and then another guy comes at him with an axe and then another guy comes at him with a pole he shoves it through his head and it's just like, yeah, sure, why not? I think, I think as we talked about with Starship Troopers, he wants to push things to the limit. It's like, yeah, no, the these these aren't monsters and they're not bugs. Uh, there is there is real peril and they're they're horrible and they're going to dismember and then it gets in the way, you know. And he he pushes, turns it up to eleven, you know. Yeah, and and in the end, in the, the point of Starship Troopers, you know, war isn't pretty. You know, it shouldn't be glamorized. But let's fill it full of beautiful people and murder them. go from here george we've covered um that's the production chat we've covered let's, our first memories let's just talk about the movie i mean so what are your what are your favorite highlights i mean what, what what's your um i mean the elephant in the room is uh which we are going to dance around is is how much of it is the the double agent the the dream sequence um do you not think this this is kind of by today's standards in terms of complexity people look at Inception say, oh, it's, you know, it's complicated. He's really challenging the audience. It's like this film, maybe it doesn't challenge the audience, but it can be interpreted a number of different ways. Yeah, no, I totally uh, understood it all when I was about eight years old. What, <laughs> totally three got boobs. It. Got it. Three, got it. Three, chick, chick with three boobs. What is that a question, Charlie? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's it. Like, it's a really enjoyable film on face value. In the same way that Starship Troopers is, but you, you delve into that next layer down of, uh, and instead of satire, it's okay. Well, what's what's really going on 
what is and it, and it as you say it perfectly encapsulates whilst it's very different and probably really extreme like you know uh, you know, Philip K. Dick died quite early on, and so he wasn't around to see this film and to get his thoughts on it. But I think he would probably be a bit shocked by it. But it, it is, as you say, it's true to that sort of that paranoia, that playing with that perception of reality. 41 or 42, whatever scripts, you know, later, they, you know, obviously there's a lot of work gone into that script. It keeps you guessing, you know, the fact that, you know, it could be a, okay, well, he's one guy, he goes to the trip. And then that's it. That's his his destiny. He is he's you know it's a bit like a um, the thing that came to mind watching it this time is it's a bit like um, born identity. You know the fact that you know who am I? Where I'm trying to remember who I am. Why am I such a badass? But that that's quite a linear story of I have no memory. I'm just an unassuming guy, but I can see the guy. You know how much that guy weighs over yeah, there, yeah. and before my hands start to shake, that sort of stuff. Um, whereas this, it's. It's okay, it's that, but it's then another layer behind that. It's like, okay, I'm somebody else, but then the person that I think I am is not that person. I've been double choked, and but then this whole time, this could have all been a dream. Um, well, yeah, because it starts. It starts with a scene that we're led to believe uh, is explained to us in. But it's through our eyes, it's a dream, and then at the end, we see a very similar scene with the same two. You know. Um, Hauser Quaid and Melina. Is this a dream? I'm not sure if it's a dream. So I think that um, Philip K. Dick would be very happy with that. And I think, you know, just to touch briefly on on his novels, they, and we love his short stories, they all follow a similar path. It's like someone who is, they're not sure of who they are. They don't know what it is. Is it reality? Is it a dream and all that? But the stories focus on how they can find out what the truth is. Are they nuts or is it really happening? And I think that's, that was a lot of what was going on in Philip K. Dick's head. Well, that's um, it. It was, it was like, there's the, the whole thing with Philip K. Dick was the, I'm not crazy. You know, <laughs> Who are you calling crazy? I'm not crazy. <laughs> I think people after me. I think people after me. Don't be silly. They're not after you. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. And then the final line, uh, it wasn't yeah. in my head. <laughs> which which is the, um, can you remember the brilliant short story? It's like, it just ends in that one line. But if he's on the rocket, that would mean I'm the robot and I'm the bomb. <laughs> Boom. Story I think, ends. <laughs> I think that they made that into a film with Gary Sinise. And I think the film's called Imposter. And I think the, I can't remember what the actual short story's called, but yeah, it's a sort of a, the person you've. But that would mean that I'm the imposter. <laughs> yeah, I'm the imposter with a bomb in my boom. <laughs> um, Story ends. Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, the, you like your sort of intelligent sci-fi. They're short out. stories. They're easy, easy to digest. And you, and you I can pick highly up, recommend them. You can pick up these collections really cheaply uh, on Amazon or paperback. I remember, like around the time uh, Minority Report came out, they released a bunch because Minority Report's a short story, so they released a bunch of short stories with obviously minority report on the front cover but yeah if if you like your your sci-fi your thinking man sci-fi and in bite-sized form check it out because yeah there's some crazy ideas there and it's stuff that obviously you know people keep coming back to there's been um you know obviously we've talked about blade runner minority report total recall i i robot um, was arthur c clark though wasn't it yes uh but you've also got adjustment bureau that's philip yeah. k dick i think paycheck once again wiping your memory 
I think Paycheck is a a, uh, a Philip K. Dick. Um, that's not that good. I like uh, Paycheck. Uh, it's so so. I mean, it's it's. You very... just don't like Affleck. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I I know I, I have a lot of time for Affleck. I just think it's it... John Woo. It's 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 John Woo. It's Affleck. It should be a lot better. It also gives that guy who's very good in Batman and uh, thanks for not smoking. Aaron, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, so um, very much his uh, breakout role. Um, but yeah, no. In terms of, uh, st- can we just talk about the style of this film? Because well, no, stylistically, I've, it is beautiful film, and you can see why it got both visual effects and just the scenery. It's such a good sci-fi film. Well, that no, that's reason. it. So. Um, a lot of the, the the stuff before they get to Mars, that's all filmed around Mexico City. So apparently uh, Quaid's apartment block, you know, with all those different levels and uh, walkways and stuff, that's a military academy in, in Mexico City wow. that was built at the time. And what they cleverly did, they did with all the sets around it. So for the recall officers, a lot of the stuff in Mexico City is made just using concrete. So like, you know, concrete partitions. So they made sure all the sets replicated Catered that to everywhere yeah. continue that sort of futuristic look and, and that's one of the things i love about this film is and again probably it does it even better in another uh, adaptation minority report i just love the future tech and it just the stuff that has yeah no real relevance on the plot so in this obviously there's the video wall when he's watching again you know the verhoven stuff of the news reports there's the, the video phones there's the johnny cab but also even just the minute stuff like the receptionist doing her nails yeah i love that and uh, Verhoeven says in the in the commentary, he put all that stuff in, and a lot of it was was his contribution was to help sell in the idea of a dream, the fact that you could you could accept that. Oh yeah, it's 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 easy enough for me to get a, a memory implant. You know that the whole things of if it was too present day or too realistic, you'd be like, oh, well, that's you know what you can just go into a a place and get your memory wiped. No, that I'm not going to buy that. But it felt futuristic enough but not too far futuristic. No, no, I, I see what you're saying. It had to look a certain amount of... Um, had to have a certain amount of future tech to make the whole recall thing believable. And I love it how, like in um, like in Starship Troopers, uh, taking the Metro is very scary. But just looking at that security system, how far off are we from that, George, in today's world? Well, for well, travelling, after, after lockdown, it's going to be X-ray scanners, just like well, that. Uh, after recent events of what's happened in America, we are obviously recording uh, in, in early January. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be metal detectors in a lot more, a lot more places and and what have you. But you know, but that again, remember, we remember I, that the fact that he had the gun on him and then he just again, he jumps through the glass. It's a great scene. Uh, yeah, again, it's it's this that that those little moments that, as you say, stay in your memory of that whole thing with the X-ray screens, and you're like, oh well. Yeah, you go, you know, when you go through the airport, you get, you know, all those all those different scans and stuff. And why not? You know, it's it's an acceptable kind of thing. And apparently I think that was supposed to be done CGI, but then they couldn't get it to work out. So I think that was all done stop motion. Like, so all the stuff with the skeletons was all like hand animated. Oh, wow. 
It does. Um, it does. It still looks good now. I thought that. I, th- I wasn't sure if that's been touched up, but yeah, I liked uh, the little Easter egg. Uh, is it an Easter egg? The guy, the guy's name who runs Recall, Bob McLean. It's Carl well, Rocco. McLean. Well, that's it. I, there's again, it's IMDb stuff. There's there's the McLean, and then the fact that he uses an interactive touchscreen to find him. But I think I, I think that might be a coincidence. But we may as but well. So Robo, it's. It's so Robocop. It's so Starship Troopers. I was going to say, we may as well, if we talked about McLean, we may as well talk about that scene because it's such a pivotal scene in the film. The fact when he goes to recall and McLean sells him the the, the trip. And I love the guy that plays McLean. I, I don't think I've seen him in anyone else, uh, in anything else. I... I listened to a or anyone else, <laughs> or anyone else. Um, but I, I I listened to a podcast a few years ago with him on. Um, you know Matt Gawley of uh, Bond, uh, James Bonding. He yeah. did uh, a podcast where he interviewed people that played minor parts in films, and he interviewed that guy. Um, right. So it was really interesting to get his uh, insight on it. But he's so brilliant as like again, it's it's a little bit of that. Uh, Bill Paxton and they even say in the sort of behind the scenes like they told him to play it as like a used car salesman and he's such a salesman but I say I've written my notes I'm I'd be in too this is one attempting offer and for me as a sales guy it's like it's a great pitch well that's it he's like oh yeah you want you know it's it's safer than air travel and yeah you want all this package and then like but uh, are you interested in our ego trip package? And he's like, can, can, can I just ask you one question? Come on, this- come on, don't bullshit me. <laughs> what is the same thing about every trip you've ever taken? Are you laying it on thick? No, but the thing is, I remember, again, it's ironic playing like memories and stuff like that. But I remember the whole point of him going into recall and describing the girl from his dreams that turns out to be Melina, who we've already seen in his dreams. I remember that, but the thing I I must have picked up on before, but I don't remember. Obviously, it probably passed me by first time around. But the tech assistant picking up one of the slides and going, "Hmm, blue skies on Mars. That's a new one." And I like that must have gone over our head so many times. Yeah, yeah, so many times. But, I mean, even I- though Doug McLean or Mister Spoiler, he t- he tells you the plot. You get the girl agents are after you you save the planet and this is something that paul verhoven reinforces like he's telling you the plot and then later on with dr egmar you know the whole matrix ripoff scene of take the red pill you're actually back at recall you're you know what's more believable you're a construction worker at recall or you're a double agent that's saving the future of mars and giving it air you know like he basically lays out the, the the script as well but because we're so involved, we're just like we don't care. We want we want Arnie's yeah we want Arnie's version. Just shoot some more people. Get the hologram watch out. <laughs> where's oh, yeah, Michael? But, but, where's Michael Ironside? Oh, we haven't talked about we, we haven't talked about Michael Ironside. We haven't talked about the lovely Sharon Stone. You know that Sharon Stone is the um, she has got a gig for Alan Affleck, big uh, op- opticians here. So. She, to her sunglasses and she okay. works one of the big brands I can't remember the sunglasses brand but she really is in the words of Alan Partridge a 60 year old scorcher still what I'm saying she still looks amazing today well no speaking of um, <laughs> speaking of Partridge like I was I was I couldn't help thinking of that the, the early scenes where 
where like I could pretend to be your wife and you know <laughs> the, the, the whole point of like in the Alan Partridge where he's got that actress's wife and she just is like n- is completely repulsed by him but it's the opposite yeah. with Sharon Stone she's all over him and yeah. and I, I used to and I still do fancy the, the, the pants of uh, Sharon Stone but it's just like oh my god she's so hot but it's just like the pants the pants suit the, the, the go getting pants suit she's she's well dressed in this well she's fantastic in this and obviously she would go on you know the for, uh, two this years was... later to do Basic Instinct with Verhoeven and become a star you know uh, obviously this was her, uh, a star, her star making turn um, but she's fantastic in this she um, kicks ass and, she, she, and I lost count. She's like, I was like, she's all over. She loves Doug. She almost loves him as much as she loves hitting him in the nuts. <laughs> she <laughs> she hits, hits him about three times. At least three times. There's a few times in that fight in the kitchen at their place. Yeah. And then later on, you know, when she's on Mars, she stamps on his nuts. And, <laughs> she's um, a real ball buster. She's a real ball buster, but you know she's she's fantastic, and obviously I say it's a a star making turn for her, but she's also in league with when she calls for help. And my favourite entrance is as a black screen, and then he suddenly turns around on the vid phone. It's fucking Michael Ironside. What an, what an arrival! Just the way he's so casual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean he is. I think he's playing a different role to what we see in in his other films, and I remember this role as being different. He's very much um, the the. I think we, we normally see him as being more authoritative in his other roles, whereas this he's he's Cohagen's you know hit guy. You see, yeah, you see uh, Pitbull. Yeah, um, but he's brilliant. Just the way he knees that guy off, Laurie, when she's on the floor, and he just throws again. Don't you take your hands off her? Um, and he doesn't care about shooting the glass, and he has that confrontation when, when of course, he actually arrives. When when Arnie turns up in drag at the Mars Customs, I think everyone knows that term. Just the two weeks, just sums um, up two weeks. But George and I have used that to death through our entire lives. Like if it ever comes up, it'll just someone say how. How long two weeks left? Two weeks. I think that's a trigger word we could say to either, you know, uh, James Glendening, John Glendening, or Jamie. Absolutely. Gugini, and that would that would trigger the same reaction as well. Doing the nervous smile afterwards especially helps. <laughs> yes. No, I, uh, I, I, I put that on our social channels and it seemed to trigger quite a few people. Um, <laughs> And they even homage it in uh, fairly unsuccessfully in the in the remake as well. So what else do you want? I mean, in terms of like, I think this has the the three set pieces. It's got the clever complexity. It's got a lot. I, I think the only question I'm asking myself is, do we remember all of these iconic scenes just because you and I have watched it a lot? And I don't think that's the case because just doing a little bit of research the last few days, this is, everyone agrees, this is an amazing film. 
Well, um, there's, there's, I say there's so much going on in terms of, you know, there's so much we haven't talked about. So you've got The Phenomenal Score by Jerry Goldsmith. And, you know, we've talked about... And as soon as I put it on, I was like, yes, yes, I'm watching this. And, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, we've chatted about him before, but, you know, he's a legendary composer. He did all the, um, a lot of the Star Trek films. He did the original Planet of the Apes. He did the Rambo. We talked about him on Rambo. Uh, he did Alien. Air Force One, again, we've talked about it. Gremlins. You know, he's he's a, he's done so many film scores and I think he considers this, like, oh, he's, he's passed on now, but he considered it one of his best scores. He's got the whole sort of mew, 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 but it's got that bombastic, you know, Paul Verhoeven, you know, a bit like the Basil Polidurus score from Robocop. It's got that big bombastic score, but it's got that trippy sort of sci-fi sort of theme well very Blade Runner uh, th- th- that's why it, just going back in terms of style you know the fact that you've got you know when he's, you've got that spaceship turning around it's all in red all the scenes outside in red it really captures uh, so, what it must look like you know some amazing got, well on that point some amazing miniatures you know we, we, yeah. we talk about our, our love of miniatures and I think this is one of the like well we talked about you know Goldeneye you, uh, I think Goldeneye was one of the last big films to use miniatures but all the the stuff with the trains and the lifts going up and down it's so intricate the way the like the cameras looping around the walkway in the in the reactor uh, hall yeah it's again coupled with with jerry goldsmith's score it's pure sci-fi for me i you know i i love it no just i think it's very good how the third act is does arrive and how it's this, they bring in this story with the rebels, like what was the plot and all of that. But what I think the film does very good throughout is it, I think it succeeds at being a great sci-fi film at being an interesting thought provoking thriller and being a brilliant action film. And I think it's difficult to do that, but the music from Jerry Goldsmith, the, as you say, the bombasticness, because this was pre Terminator, but it's, there's a bit of T2 going, there's a, there, obviously this is after the first Terminator film. There's a bit of Terminator in there that it's, it, you know, it's that, that sort of that, the hard drum, but yeah, it's got the Blade Runnery sequence and all, with all the graphics and all the miniatures we're talking about. This is a brilliant, brilliant uh, sci-fi film. It's, it wouldn't be what it is without Arnie, but maybe if another, um, I think if you put any other actor in, it would have been like a Blade Runner type film. But luckily, well, it's wait. what it is. <laughs> let's wait for coulda, woulda, shoulda, Charlie. That's what all I'm going to say. I, the other thing that we haven't really talked about is um, is the makeup effects. So uh, it's Rob Bottin, who the guy who did uh, the thing. He did um, obviously he did wow. a lot of stuff on uh, RoboCop as well. So there's all the mutant stuff that he did, but then there's all the stuff that you don't think about when, um, or that it's kind of obvious probably watching it now and probably was back in the day, but when Arnie's getting, you know, uh, the thing up the nose, the COVID test, when he's getting the yeah. bug out the nose, that's clearly a obviously a, an animatronic no, of, but I was... of Arnie's head. And obviously there's the whole two weeks bit where the, the with the head splitting open is fantastic, but the Arnie bit behind it is looks a bit like Robert Palmer. Yeah, no, but it's, it does look uh, slightly dated now. I think I've put it in my notes now, just like how many, yeah, how many, I think Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger is probably in the Guinness Book of Records. He's probably not, but he should be for having the most amount of prosthetic heads of himself made. Because how many do you think exist? If you take into account this film, all the, the 
they would have made two or three, maybe four yeah. or five. Uh, Terminator Two, they went nuts because they had the whole All the different they had the, the degradation of his face yeah. throughout, and they they were really getting into it then. So I'm guessing, can you imagine that there's this fifty or a hundred heads of Arnie around? But yeah, I did notice that going back to it. Well, there's um, the, and obviously there's still the, impressive. There's the bit that again, like I remember us laughing about back in the day when we first watched it, and it's probably one of the the few sort of weak points of the film is i mean it's an impressive effect but the whole bit of them on a suffocating on mars that's all animatronics obviously with the eyes bulging out uh, <laughs> and uh, and this film i again you're talking about how many things of arnie's head i think this film has the most amount of arnie adr additional dialogue <laughs> so many gruntings and groanings that he's like he's not on screen like the stuff when he's at the start in the dream when he's falling down the hill he's like <laughs> and then obviously when um the they're both gasping for air at the end their eyes and his eyes are popping out that's hilarious it It was it it was was back then it's a bit long that's it it's a bit long it's a bit hilarious and i think even um gary goldman picked up on it and said they were so like they rushed like it was very much to the wire in terms of finishing the film and getting it into theaters and i think they were bizarrely it shows like the um the the state of cinema or like the, had the studio system they were competing against the the dick tracy movie you know the warren bt dick tracy movie yeah that was coming out the week after total recall so they were like we've got to get we you know we've got to get it done we've got to we get can't it. miss our slot yeah and so as a result they didn't test screen it they just like yeah let's just go for it and i think gary goldman said yeah me and paul talked about it, like the that last 20 minutes could have been tighter it could have been edited a bit shorter and i think that's it. it's like it really does dwell on the and as for cohagen he gets the proper raiders of the lost ark exploding nazi death doesn't he come on come on go come on go hagen give those people the air oh brilliant and i mean there's so many things that we quote from this um ronnie cox just just him saying fuck him well, and i just i just love that bit where ronnie cox is full bond villain at the end where yeah where where quaid gets to the the reactor handprint and he's like don't fucking touch it <laughs> don't do it don't, don't do it i'm gonna blow your wall to get him cap he Uh, is brilliant in this ronnie cox because you're right he is very bond villain-esque in that he comes in has that lovely chat with um richter and he's just like i've got this plan i've got this and you're fucking it up and then he loses his shit and it's okay this is interesting and he's sinister and go-to bad guy for that period um well, what I've put in my notes is is Ronnie Cox upping his total bastard level from RoboCop because <laughs> we really thought he was a shit in RoboCop, but he really ups it in this. Yeah. The the one thing we haven't really uh, talked about, Charlie, is is Quato uh, Quato Quango Quango Quato. Quado, Quado. I'm going to say it in Arnie's voice, Quado. Um, oh, Benny. <laughs> ben, we haven't. Come on, man. We haven't. We haven't really talked about the chick with three boobs, which is obviously one of the most important things of this film. What is there to say? Uh, well, yeah, exactly. Um, but talk, still looks good. Still looks good now. I'm, and I mean. and to be fair, they they get every penny they've invested in that prosthetic because she is on screen at least four or five times. It's like. Yeah. Do you want to see them again? <laughs> it's just like, 
it's almost like they're like no put him put him away love put him away it's like yeah come yeah. on come on got the midget with the machine gun it's brilliant midget machine gun <laughs> um but uh about quato so i've got questions when does it, <laughs> when does he eat what you know um what does he eat what does he because he's, he's got teeth he's got like he's got teeth he's got mouth he's got hair does does somebody cut his hair when when does that happen because it's all in secret you know i just i have so many questions i, also, I mean it's does, again it's it's fantastic does, um, does the host does what how much if that is the host completely out of it does he remember well, exactly. everything that's discussed when he's when he's quado quado because if he doesn't remember then how does he know that he hasn't been like quado's been running the show and he's been like eh. he's been like that for three weeks and quado's been giving like campfire talks on hang on to reading everybody's mind at a party and this guy's like out going ah. <laughs> hang on who 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 moved my desk over there but sir, you, you, Kuwato you uh, agreed to it earlier. I, I, I didn't say. So yeah, I think we're getting on to. Uh, well, that's one of my suspicious spin-offs later. But I have lots <laughs> of questions about uh, Kuwato. But again, yeah, that's another fantastic. Well, I say it's a carryover from the David Cronenberg sp- script because that was all in the the whole uh, Kuwato and uh, psychic and stuff. But um, amazing work from Rog Botine with the prosthetics and stuff like that. But yeah, I think I think that's it. I think in terms of talking about the main film, it's it's. I say it's a fantastic action film. Can't decide whether I love this more than RoboCop. I think I love the the ideas more the the whole you know the Philip K. Dick uh, Dickian ideas a bit more. Obviously, I'm a big Arnie fan. So yeah, there's a lot to love about this film, and I can I can understand. Yes, I could say you could probably tone down the violence, and it wouldn't take away much from the film, but it would make it obviously less of a, a Paul Verhoeven film. You need to be reminded occasionally. I mean, I think, yeah. <clears throat> I think occasionally the- you just need to see somebody be used as a human shield on the metro. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, because he's got the backpack and the backpack's full of the squibs. It's got all the blood for the squibs. Remember we worked this out, that the reason why he's able to get shot so many times in physical effects is because the guy, the guy's backpack is just full of blood squibs. And it's like, got, it's got all of the blood it's just coming out of his chest. Okay, he's empty. I'm gonna, gonna have to gonna well, throw him away now. Apparently, like, when a blood blood squib goes off, it's really painful. It's like being, like, you know, punched really hard in your chest. So yeah, I really feel bruised. for that guy. Yeah. He's just like, oh, Oh, Paul, no, please. <laughs> Mr. Verhoeven, please stop. No. Uh, I didn't get it that time. We're no. going to have to go the squibs again. We're going to have to go over the squibs again. Another round of squibs. It's just, just one every centimetre. But no, for me, I think, to be fair to both Mr. Verhoeven and his films, and I think it would be fair to say, George, that it is a case of diminishing returns from Robocop to Total Recall but I think Total Recall is propped up by the fact that it's got Arnie in it and because it's a bit more modern the special effects are more but what I'm trying to say is like in terms of the originality and the the Verhovenness yeah, of, I mean, of that and Peter Weller's performance and and everything else well, I say you get it, you get a lot of that stuff that's carried over the whole the news reports the adverts yeah that, that, that does that does feel like it's yeah it, it's diminishing returns from robocop but still i say brilliantly done um but yeah as you say robocop is as an original piece i suppose um 
But my point, my overall point is that I'm talking about it from a from a trilogy that you go from that. I mean, I love them all, but you go from RoboCop and it's like, wow, Total Recall is like, yes, this guy's amazing. And I just felt that by the time we got to Starship Troopers, like it was almost like, oh, this is a look back at remember Paul Verhoeven yeah. sci-fi films, how cool they were. Whereas I think you get you get both sides of it in these two films. So that's what you know when you're trying to because I'm answering your your query before you're not sure which is your favorite of of say these three that that we've put together as a trilogy. Oh, no, but, I'm- yeah, I mean, I I I, I, th- I would say it's between Total Recall or RoboCop. I mean, I I love Starship Troopers, but I think yeah, it's 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 a really close tie for me between the the first two. Just one. Why didn't they put? Imagine if they put RoboCop and put them together even closer. You know, tied them together for the for another film. But um, which I've, I've just remembered. I think Peter Weller's in a Philip K. Dick. I think Screamers is what. Like, there's a lot. I of have not seen that. I need to watch that. Nah, I don't bother. Everyone it's, says it's terrible, but the fact that it, it looked good, the trailer looked good when it came out, and it's Philip K. Dick, but it's terrible. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, don't I, like it then. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe give it a go. Hello dear listeners, Charlie McGee here. That ends the first part of our retro ramble on Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. We don't normally split up our episodes, but as you can see, George and I have been rambling for almost an hour, and we've not even touched on the crazy ideas for the sequel, or any of our usual features. Be sure to get your ass to part two, where George and I try to pin down the ambiguous plot, the suspicious spin-offs it could have led to, alternative casting in our coulda, woulda, shoulda, and of course, some shout-outs from you, our dear audience. So thanks for listening. Keep sharing. See you at the party, Richter. There's a fat old lady, and I'm actually hiding underneath this thing, which is the amazing thing which we find out later on. Go ahead. I just want to say that now things are going wrong with the face. The, 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 the uncontrollable distortion of the face and everything, and that's what busts me actually right now. Because the face does not stop and it says the wrong things all the time. Uh, what a surprise, you know, to come up there as an old lady, then all of a sudden the thing malfunctions and they catch me. And then, uh, of course, the, this is not just a face or a head, it's also, uh, you know, an explosive device. 